Hey everybody, welcome to Hacking Into Security, your career-related cybersecurity show. I'm your host, Ricky Burke, the InfoSec recruiter, and regularly we'll be catching up with a variety of guests from CISOs, entrepreneurs, VCs, new people into the industry, and more, each sharing their story, industry knowledge, and advice on how others can navigate success in their career. So sit back, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Hacking Into Security. This episode, we're here with Zach Micus. Zach is a threat detection engineer for the Australian security company, Caseda. Zach, first of all, welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. So I know Zach has an interesting story and again, like many others, a diverse background to say the least and looking forward to sharing his journey. So I guess, first of all, Zach, who are you? So I am Zachary Willemarcus and I am a... InfoSec professional that works at a company called Casada, which is basically an anti-botting company. I've been in the cybersecurity industry for about, what, three and a half years now. And before that, I was a, well, professional cook, professional chef. And even before that, I was a landscaper and a gardener. I've been enjoying my journey so far. And I'm hoping that I can help other people start and enjoy their journey in cybersecurity like I have. So we'll get into how you transitioned into security. But I guess with a background of being a landscape gardener, professional cook, why did you get into security in the first place? Well, to understand that, we have to go back and look at why I started those professional careers in the first place. So I wasn't a very good school student. I was very, very good at the work, but I never did the work. And I was very, very good at skipping school, which ended up with me leaving school early in about, so I think I left in year 11. So I was about 16, 17, and I didn't complete my high school certificate. So I had very limited opportunities available to me out there. My father is a professional landscaper, so I did some landscaping through his business. And then after a while, I got sick of the <laughs> sick of that work and working for a family business. So I picked up work at a local cafe and just started working from there and entered into that career. A little while after that, I moved over to Melbourne when I was about 17. Nothing really on my back. I didn't have much money, but I just knew that I wanted to leave Perth, my hometown. So I... When I landed, I didn't have a particular skill set, so I just went with what I knew and I started working in kitchens and I just kept on moving through the hospitality world, working different positions and getting further and further along the chain and trying out different restaurants. But the one thing that I always found was that I just didn't particularly enjoy the work at all. I didn't hate it necessarily it did have its benefits you know it was very fun you know there's some great food involved of course but I was always really really smart and I just felt that I was wasting a lot of the potential in my life I I fell into this problems and I just went down into a spiral of thinking that I wasn't able to achieve my actual true potential and it, it hit me really bad for a really long time which exacerbated it but the, the problem that I found was that I couldn't go to university because I was living over here on my own. I had no way to support myself and, you know, doing full-time university was just out of my reach, right? Which really dampened a lot of my hopes and opportunities going forward. 
until one day I'd gotten sick of it and said, okay, I'm going to try something new. I'm going to, you know, give it a, give it one last shot before I resign myself for pursuing anything better. And sure enough, I decided to check out the certificate for in cybersecurity. Well, actually I, I checked out information technology at Fox Hill TAFE. And okay. when I was enrolling, they happened to say, oh, we're doing this, you know, first of its kind cybersecurity course. And I thought to myself, well, I've always, you know, been pretty interested in this, so why not? And lo and behold, I start the course and I take to it incredibly, incredibly well. As I start pushing forward, I got given the wonderful opportunity to do a apprenticeship at the National Australia Bank, which started my foray into cybersecurity. Fantastic. And I guess from there, how did you develop after that? Do you want the nitty gritty or the general? Oh, always nitty gritty. Always. Yeah, well, so basically during the apprenticeship, we moved through a, you know, three-month rotation. So it was a year long, four rotations, three months each in different areas of the National Australia Bank while I was also doing schooling which was really, really helpful for me because it allowed me to pay the bills while I was studying. It, it's difficult to say as well because I feel like there was a lot of luck in regards to that and I, I never like to discount it and tell people that, you know, that there is no sense of luck involved. But that first opportunity was the lucky part. Everything that happened afterwards was a large amount of dedication. So once, once I'd gotten into actually working there that was doing it and giving it my all putting my hand up for every available opportunity doing extensive amounts of study both inside and outside of my courses curriculum to build myself into absolute best capability that I could over the course of that year so asking every question I could volunteering everywhere that I could and in the end it allowed me to gain a opportunity as a security analyst in the SOC, which I ran through for the next three years. So you got into the SOC analyst role at NAB. And I guess from your point of view, what were the sort of skill sets that you learned and maybe through the course, maybe self-learning that help you, I guess, in that day job? Yeah, sure. So I, I kind of put it into three categories of skills myself. So one side of it, you have the technical skills. So that is your knowledge in regards to networking, programming, all of these sorts of features. The second category is your soft skills. So your people skills, how you talk to people, how you organize projects, how you do just, you know, your general every day and how that impacts the people around you. And, and the third is more in the sense of logical and reasoning skills. So things like how to solve a puzzle or how to go about solving a puzzle, what different opinions mean, what kind of, where do you sit, where do your opinions lie? All of these are skills that you kind of garner and make you into a good analyst. That's interesting. And, and I guess with those skills, what were the, the ones you actually managed to self-learn or, or what ones were, I guess, natural as well out of interest? Uh, all of them. I, I had to self-learn. <laughs> <laughs> okay. They, they, I, I think that's that's something that a lot of people don't realize as well is that a, a lot of people do have innate, they have those skills previously or 
you know, they've worked on them previously and it, it, it comes out, but it, realistically, everybody can improve on every one of those and everybody should improve on all of them. You know, some people can speak much better or explain themselves much better, but that's just still like any other. It's especially prevalent in me because I've never been, I have a mix of social skills. So <laughs> I've had to learn some things that are quite easy for people and some things that aren't. Yeah. Okay. That's great. And okay. So that, that took you into the sock role. You've, you've picked up your skills and then from a, I guess, a technical point of view, and this is, I guess, for, for people that are interested in learning what it's like to work in a sock, I guess, what, what does that look like? And what, what were the skills that, I guess, the technical skills that you think people should either have or recommend people should learn to help themselves? Well, so there is two fundamental, and take this all as my opinion. There are a lot of opinions in regards to this. But there are fundamentally two technical aspects to the entirety of the world of computing, as I see it, networking and programming. So everything that you're doing will more or less boil itself down into those major categories. And those are your pinnacle foundations. It's do I know how computers talk to each other and do I know how computers themselves work? So the technical skills that I'd say for anybody that's looking into those is try to push yourself to be able to set up networks, understand networks, understand protocols and how they work, as well as many different types of protocols and as well as programming in general. So you should be able to write basic and simple programs, but more importantly, you should be able to understand programming logic. You know, you have to be able to look at something and reason and say, okay, I know why this works this way because, you know, this is what is likely going on in the background because I've programmed things that are similar to this. And quite frankly, that's something that just comes with practice. Yeah, okay. That, that makes a lot of sense. So you've progressed in the SOC, you've built up your skills, and then you moved on to your current role. So you're now working, as you mentioned before, you're a threat detection engineer. And I was looking up before, with that job title, and I'm just going by LinkedIn here, there's about 30 odd people in the in the world that have that job title, and <laughs> and you're the only one in Australia. So that's a, that's a pretty interesting one to I guess to have. So, yeah, tell us. So in terms of a threat detection engineer, how did that come about? In terms of the role that you're in now, and I guess what what does that involve on a day to day basis? Yeah, well, actually, so it kind of started at, at NAB. So in a general modern SOC, you have incident responders and you have a detection capability, right? So something that actually produces the alerts that fire that, you know, incident responders and analysts can go and look at and determine whether or not it's actually malicious or good benign activity. So usually you'll have a product like a seam. So in my case, I'm well-versed in Splunk, which is the largest seam, I think, at the moment. And during my work at NAB, I found that I was a pretty good incident responder, but definitely not the best. But what I found that I was very, very good at was looking and sifting through data and thinking through the mind of an attacker and then using that to be able to create good alerts based on data that we could then send to incident responders to look at. So essentially, a lot of my job is, one, conducting threat modelling. So we will say okay, these are different aspects of a company. So let's take websites or web applications, right? Okay, if, if I was an attacker and this was the website that I wanted to hear, 
what do I go about doing? Okay, so what are the techniques that I use? Do I want to start, you know, doing domain enumeration? Do I want to start checking forms of fields to see if they're sanitizing their inputs properly? Maybe there's an SQL injection there, something like that. What other activities would I take to gather more recon about what I'm hitting? And then once I've found particular aspects of that, what do I do to move into a stage of exploiting it? And moving on from there after exploitation, what do I do? Okay, I've got access to a database. Do I dump that database and move on? So now these are all steps that we've created in an attack path from point A to point B. Now, my job there as a threat engineer would be, okay, now that I know how I would attack it and, and I've got a bunch of good minds together and said, okay, this is how we would attack it. Now, I'm going to go ahead and test all of these things, test all of these individual steps and see what they look like inside of the data. And then once I'm able to conduct that and reliably see it in the data, I can create alerts that say, okay, this is what normal traffic looks like. This is what the traffic looks like of somebody that is conducting attacks against the website. And out of that, produce functioning alerts that, that can then be sent to the incident responders that say, hey, this is... We're seeing traffic that looks like somebody's attacking this website and they can go and look at it and see whether or not it's good or bad. Time for a quick break. I'm Ricky Burke. In my full-time role, I'm the founder and director of CyberSec People, a leading cybersecurity recruitment company where we support organizations across the US and APAC in hiring cybersecurity talent. Through our connections and reach into the security community, our deep industry knowledge, we save organizations time when hiring. We have a 98% success rate and a three-year track record that demonstrates we only have to send, on average, two applicants to find success. If your organization is hiring, reach out as we'd love to discuss what that means for you. In the meantime, thank you for listening and enjoy the rest of the podcast. So as someone who basically hunts bots, what would be maybe some interesting stories? Obviously, certain stuff maybe you can or can't talk about, but within reason, whether it's stuff that you do or heard about, you know, what, what's things that you can share? So in my current role, I'm doing quite a lot of what we talked about before, but in the uh, perspective of automated attacks or boarding activity against websites that is unwanted. So coming, coming to the top of my head, I've seen... I can't go into individual customers, but I, I can definitely tell you that there's trends and peaks and falls that are very, very interesting, especially with our international customers, just seeing the, the way that the data moves around. But from a botting perspective, so some of the stuff that I've seen quite recently is just trying to find bots and their activity through little indicators in their behavior that says this isn't a person. So one of them that I found is that it's been looking up products in alphabetical order. So somebody has taken a list of products or URLs that they want to look at and if they've alphabetized the list and now it's running through and saying, I'm going to look at apples, then I'm going to look at bananas, then I'm going to look at, you know, <laughs> whatever it is, right? Some, some of the other ones that I've seen as well that is quite interesting is finding the differences in behavior between humans and bots based on timing and schedules because automation is, it falls into particular patterns. So a normal human visiting a website tends to be very erratic with their behavior. They visit different paths, they look at different things and they don't do it at a very set schedule. So sometimes I can see these glaringly 
the obvious traffic that's coming through that is occurring at precise intervals of, okay, you're hitting this part of the website exactly every seven minutes. And then you're hitting this other part of the website exactly every three minutes. Or you're moving through this very distinct chain of URLs throughout a website. Yeah, pretty, pretty interesting. That part. There's, there's quite a, a bit more, but I can't go customer specific, unfortunately. No, of course. So out of interest, you mentioned about sort of doing it A to Z alphabetically and talking about, you know, apples, bananas. What is it they're actually looking to achieve on the back of that? Well, it, it could be a variety of things, right? So it could be that they're scraping the website to say, okay, what do they have in stock? What do they not have in stock? During this time where we've, you know, we're going to do this global health crisis where we had lots of problems with stock inside of certain companies, people would be checking, okay, is this in stock? If yes, buy it, right? So thereby denying other people the opportunity to do so. Sometimes people will do things like they'll price gouge competitors. So They'll look up and say, hey, you're selling a pair of sneakers on your website for $30. Well, I know that you're selling it for $30, so I'm going to go back and I'm going to switch my sneakers to $29.99. So therefore, when people sort by price, mine comes up first in the list. So not just bad guys, motivated attackers, but actual businesses or rivals are conducting these as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, it goes on a whole spectrum. We, you know, there's arbitrage, so betting arbitrage, where, you know, you have individual bettors collecting odds from large amounts of gamblers to say, hey, I'm going to gamble on this or try to manipulate prices for their own. Stock market has been hit by oh, any sort of stock trading or cryptocurrency trading, anything like that has been hit by botting attacks where they, you know, run pump and dump schemes or attempt to manipulate prices in their favor. Yeah, essentially anything that is too cumbersome to do as an individual person can be bottled and scripted, which is what people do. Even if that means that, you know, it's a tax or just general, you know, sometimes it's not even a tax, but it will be something like, you know, bots are literally just copying websites, all of its content to their own website and then selling service to their copied website, right? So you've effectively created a service that literally does nothing except steal other people's content. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I bet, it is. I, bet, I bet it's opened up your eyes as well to, I guess, another part of the industry. Yeah, definitely. It's significantly more specific than my last role in that, you know, I'm dealing with web and websites and web services, whereas my last role was much more infrastructure-based. So it's a different set of skill sets that's much more specific, but at the same time, I can dive into it with a significantly higher level of detail that I would have been otherwise, right? So uh, just to give some insight, because th- there are a lot of people that want to get into this industry or want to transition from other roles. And like I've, I've known you for a few years now, and I know you're an incredibly hardworking and determined person. But just to try and give some insight, what did it take for you in terms of the level of effort and, and dedication did it take to, to help you get to where you are today? The dedication that it took came in different forms. I, I've never been a good studier. So I, I have a big problem in just sitting down, opening up textbooks, sitting down, listening to lectures and just, you know, learning that way. But what I am really good at is learning through projects. So I would dedicate a large amount of my off time to just simply throughout the day, I'd see something like, 
oh, hey, cool. I, I wonder if I could make a script that does this. So maybe I could make a script that visits a website and checks prices. Okay, cool. I'll get home and I'll dedicate time to doing it. So when it came to my actual dedication of, you know, in-depth study, uh, like of, you know, opening textbooks, it honestly wasn't as much as it should be. And I'm definitely trying to fix that now. The dedication that it came to actually being hands-on in front of the computer and, you know, programming and learning and finding out all of these little tidbits about the way that computers and networks and all of computing works, that was, it's significant, it's ongoing, and it will always be that way. You, you basically have to sit down and say to yourself, you know, I, I have to live and breathe computers, not just being on them every day because you shouldn't be on a computer, you know, 24-7. It's not good for your health, but, you know, you should be able to say, okay, how does this work? What is this? How do I go about figuring out the way that this works and then putting in the time and effort to be able to, you know, approach that? Makes a lot of sense. And I guess reflecting back now, so, you know, when you when you think back and hopefully you are very proud of yourself from, you know, the, the I guess the progress you've made you. for, of, you know, four or five years ago, completely different role, different industry. And I wasn't even aware, you know, you mentioned how you, you were looking to give basically it one last shot to, to make a push into something new. And obviously you found your passion, but if, I guess, what advice would you give Zach of 2014, 15 now in terms of, you know, again, other people wanting to, to get into this industry, guess what steps should they take? What skills would you recommend that's really going to help enhance them and, and maybe move into something quite quickly? So, so one is pull yourself up. The, the industry has grown quite significantly, but it needs dedicated and hardworking people that ask questions and are willing to learn. And if that means just strapping yourself down for, you know, a year, two years to just learn, go to conferences, get as much study done and just dedicate yourself to it, then sometimes that's what needs to be done. I would also say don't, don't expect a free ride through anything. You, you need, if you're not constantly challenging yourself, you're not growing. So if you're ever in the state of saying this is easy, then make it harder. You know, add things to the equation, make it more complex so that you learn and that you keep on learning. I'd also say don't, do not, whatever you do, push away soft skills and organisational skills. Being able to talk to people, being able to explain things to people is really, really such an undeniably valuable skill. And it can really make or break the difference between a lot of people's careers to be honest and a lot of that just comes through practice and networking and I often tried to teach people as much as I could because it just gives you the, that ability to explain complex tasks to people as they're learning it and organizational skills the, the one skill that I wish that I had gone back and learned right at the beginning was project management because it will help you so much and it, it's just a, it's a good skill for any industry you're in to be honest but uh, cybersecurity is very much a skill that it's required I think that's a really good point. So, and I've recorded a podcast the other day with a CISO who gave a few of those very specific things in terms of, yes, technical skills are very important. And there's obviously lots of different types of technical skills, but the softer skills, the communication skills, organization skills, really, really just as important as well. Yeah. The technical skills will get you through the door, but you will not go anywhere without the soft skills 
and I would even say technical and interpersonal will get you through the door. You won't get anywhere further than that without organisational skills. Out of interest, your background from hospitality, did that play much of a part in terms of, I guess, your communication and, and I guess the softer skill side of things? Yeah, it did. One side of it is that I got introduced to people from all different walks of life. So, you know, I was constantly, I was, I say networking with them uh, in quotes, which is, you know, chefs and hospitality workers going out for quite a few drinks. Okay. But a large part, a large part of that is, you know, finding people that are from all different ways of life, talking to them and just, you know, learning all those really important conversational skills. And then partly as well, I think one of the things that was good for me is that cooking gave me the ability to organize myself under pressure and handle myself under pressure because we would go into a, you know, hospitality war zone every day for, you know, three hours a day, having to, you know, crank everything out. Yeah. And and that tend to, yeah, it it was. And that tend to transcend transcend quite well to instant response, I always reckon, because, you know, that heat of the moment, being able to slow things down, do it methodically and think about it is, is a skill in its own, which I think I got from hospitality. Are they some cooking puns there, heating up and turning it down? Or... <laughs> yeah, let's go with that. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. And I guess on on the technical side of things, obviously it's such a big industry and you, you did your, just your cert for, but I guess there's lots of different things people can learn out there. So just from your awareness, I guess, what would you recommend in terms of what are the, maybe some of the technical skills that people should look at out there that maybe are in demand or that will be coming up from what you see? Yeah, so there's the, the big trifecta in the industry, which is at the moment sort of your data science, machine learning, cloud and cybersecurity, as everybody knows. So I'll give one aspect is that it's it's always good to reach yourself outside of cybersecurity and always remember, and I've, I've had to bring this up a few times, is that us in cybersecurity, our role is information technology specializing in cybersecurity, not cybersecurity specializing in information technology. And what I mean by that is that you need to know your IT skills fundamentally, even beyond, above and beyond your cybersecurity skills. I would also say anything that you can get in regards to seeds. So setting up and running your own Splunk and just looking at tutorials and ingesting logs through that and getting to know how to use it. Those skills are in very, very, very high demand. Anything and everything related to cloud is <laughs> really, really high demand at the moment. And cybersecurity, I've, I've started to see a huge amount of jumps in infosec jobs regarding cloud skills. So that will be an interesting one to see over the next few years. That's for sure. Definitely. That's some good advice. Well, Zach, thank you for, for sharing your journey. And again, I know there's lots of diverse ones out there, but I really always appreciate yours. And I think, it's just, again, I know the dedication that you put into it. And again, like, it's, there's no disrespect meant by it. But I, I think it's, again, like I said, something you should be proud of, but going you know, from a cook to a very, very skilled cybersecurity professional doing quite a rare role in the industry. That, that's pretty cool. Thank you very much. It's something that I would have never expected, you know, five years ago, and it's been, you know, one hell of a ride. I honestly wouldn't trade it for the world. Fantastic. Well, thanks for your time today. No, thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. And if you've got any questions, comments, please reach out to me. You'll find me online anywhere, CyberSec, Ricky, 
And if you would like to be involved in the future, maybe be a guest and then reach out as well. Thanks for your time. Have a great day. Bye.